0: Hi everyone and welcome to VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliance Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from our VMware partners, executives, and industry analysts. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Andrew Caprera, Chief Operating Officer at Softchoice, Together, we discussed how the software and cloud solutions SoftChoice delivers sets them apart in solving customer problems in new and innovative ways. Let's listen now.
1: Thank you for having me on, Kathleen. Really excited to chat today. So SoftChoice is a software-focused IT solution provider, and we really try to help companies be more agile and innovative, and so We try to create that success by enabling these organizations to leverage the agility of the cloud. We help them build those digital workplaces that are going to prepare them for what the workforce needs tomorrow. And then ultimately we enable them to make smarter decisions about their technology and help them along that life cycle. So we're headquartered in Toronto, but we've got 1850 team members all across the major cities in North America so that we can serve our customers in all of these markets.
0: That's great. SoftChoice was recently honored as one of our top partner winners for 2021, and we recognize SoftChoice with the VMware Partner Achievement Award for Outstanding Success and Innovation. Can you give us a sense of what SoftChoice is doing to solve customer problems in new and innovative ways that is setting SoftChoice apart in the market?
1: Kathleen, I think it comes back to a bit of our legacy and our focus on that software and cloud solution area. And that means that we are innovating and we're certainly building some amazing services capabilities and building up their competencies with VMware. But the way that we approach each and every customer is very different because ultimately we're trying to help them along that entire life cycle of an agreement, which is very different than helping them buy a product up front and just implement it. And so we've really invested heavily in wrapping all of our innovation around our lifecycle services, as we call them, so that customers really get that full ROI out of their purchase and hopefully speed that time to value on their purchase and their consumption environments. And so we all know that choosing that right technology is such a key part of the process. And so obviously we've got the experts and competencies to do that but we think it's equally important to manage the purchase and manage the technology afterwards to make sure that it's being implemented properly. And so we're really looking to help that customer from day zero onwards and not really thinking about a contract renewal date that's three or five years in the future. And so when we've innovated, we've really built out the assessments and the packaged implementation accelerators, as well as the adoption services to make sure that our customers get up and running quickly and properly on these new technologies. And then we wrap all of that with a really rigorous lifecycle management process that we help our customers with on a monthly and quarterly basis to make sure that they're keeping up to speed on what's going on in this rapidly changing industry to make sure that they're continuing to get the most out of their technology implementation.
0: I love the lifecycle service approach from day zero all the way through rather than thinking about just an isolated project here, project there, but but having that holistic view, it also seems that that business model is kind of at the right place at the right time because we're seeing more and more customers look at more of a managed service provider or an outsourced model or bring in other people. What do you see among your customers? I'm sure you talk to customers all the time every day. What do you think is fueling that and driving that to make soft choices model kind of the perfect match for what your customers are looking for in this trend we're seeing?
1: In all honesty, I think this trend started a few years ago with the IT budgets being under pressure in many organizations. And so there was an increased need for these IT leaders to say, how do I get control over this budget and really get the maximum amount out of every dollar and every cent in my budget? Because I'm being asked to do more and more, but I'm often getting less and less money to do that. And so that's where we really started to invest in the lifecycle services about four years ago so that we could help those customers really generate that ROI on the investment. And now, obviously, we've all been hit with COVID and the pandemic, and that's changed a lot of things as well. And I think it's accelerated the need for those kinds of services because what we've seen is that many of these companies really hadn't done a great job of building that agile infrastructure foundation underneath them to be able to adapt quickly. We all read stories in the news about companies that struggle to give their employees access to systems at the times they needed them, or others that struggle to enable a robust e-commerce experience when that was the only way for people to buy from you. And I think this is just a tremendous opportunity for CIOs and IT leaders because they've never had a louder voice at the executive table or the boardroom than they do today. Every company, every board, every executive team is asking how do we not let that happen again? And I think the best IT leaders are really seizing this opportunity to not just set up for the new normal, as everyone's talking about, but for whatever that next normal is going to be by creating that agile foundation so that they can move quickly. And so I think one of the things we've seen accelerate over the last 18 months is the ability for organizations to just get started and just start in the cloud or just start their adoption of workplace technologies And I think before that, there was this desire to have the perfect digital transformation roadmap complete before we take any steps. And then, you know, all of a sudden this hit and nobody had the luxury of spending the time on those kinds of projects. They just needed to go. And I think a lot of great companies and great IT teams realized that, hey, we can actually do this. And this is maybe a better way to do things. And so I think that adoption and the ongoing management of the life cycle really plays well into an environment where organizations are taking those first few steps, probably before they're comfortable and before they're ready, because they know that a partner like Softchoice is there with them every step of the way. And we've got the expertise to make sure that they're not going to have any security issues. They're not going to be one of those companies in the newspaper whose costs went out of control and they can't explain it. And they're going to be a company whose users are actually using the technology properly. And so I think those two things, the need to get more out of your budget and the need to start accelerating some of these projects has really moved, I think, the market closer to where we are and and to a place where companies need those kinds of managed services.
0: The comments that you shared about the events of the last 18 months being the trigger that had people kind of leap off that cliff go into the great unknown of the cloud or, or make that choice is definitely the case. You also had mentioned customers were waiting for that perfect IT roadmap, which of course never never hears. And you know some of the feedback as we talk to your peers and our customers is that it's messy, that I, I think those of us who live in this technology industry like VMware think things are further ahead than our customers are. Are you seeing a typical customer journey are you seeing any kind of consistency in terms of where customers are? Are they all in different places? Are you starting to see some kind of particular momentum in particular areas as customers are kind of starting to emerge from the last 18 months of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think there's two things uh, that I'm seeing. In, uh, one on the on the workplace side and the end user side and one on the cloud side. But to start on the workplace side, I think what we're seeing over there is that companies really rushed to enable collaboration and remote interaction of their employees, but they really didn't spend enough time thinking through how they're going to do that properly and how they're going to drive the adoption of those tools or how they're going to get the most value out of those technologies. They just rushed to get them implemented. And so now I think we're at the point where companies are saying, okay, I've done that, (laughs) we made it through that, but now how do I go back and do this properly? Like, how do I go back and make sure that I'm using all of these features and getting that most value out of that purchase? And so I think we're starting to see a lot more thoughtful preparation and planning going into the return to office conversation around really getting the most out of all of these great tools and platforms for their users. On the cloud side, I do think that what we're seeing here is that companies were coming from very different places. Some of them were far into their cloud journey. Some of them were just getting started. And then as we went into COVID and into the last 18 months, they all had to do more of that. I think we're generally seeing that on average, most companies have adopted the public cloud in some meaningful way more than they did in the past. But the challenge here, again, is without having that strategy, they probably now got to the point where everybody's done the easy things in the cloud. And now they're coming back to say, well, what's next? And the thing that I'm starting to see more and more is that companies are saying, well, I know to do this properly. I need to fully replatform or refactor applications because that's how I get the most out of it. But that's a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. And I'm not sure I want to wait to do all of that. And so that's where I think our partnership with VMware is really shining through. And and the VMware cloud solution is really becoming an important conversation for us with our customers because it's a way for them to get some of those benefits of the public cloud in a much faster way. And I think more and more companies are starting to look at how do I accelerate cloud without having to replatform and refactor right now because I just can't do it all at once. And so I think that's the, the trend I'm seeing more and more on the cloud side, Kathleen, is just this idea of how do I move faster, but maybe not do it at 100 percent, but hey, 80 percent is pretty good.
0: I really appreciate those insights. Uh, I think the refactoring and replatforming is challenging also Because what we see is the organizations that are siloed within companies that need to be working on this, right? Developers are in a different place of the organization. The IT infrastructure managers are another place of the organization. We're also seeing an increase in line of business ownership around technology and resources. Is that also something that you're seeing across customers How does SoftChoice maybe work to help bring together those groups? And I would love your thoughts on the the, kind of the rise of the lines of business as the new IT owners.
1: It certainly is becoming more of a trend, as you said. One of the biggest service lines we've had over the last 18 months is our DevOps Accelerator. And it's a workshop-based approach to help these organizations bring those groups together and start thinking about how they're going to develop their applications in this new way, in this new world, but doing it together as one team, because a lot of them have said, Hey, we know we need to do this. We know we need to start working better as one group. We know we need to start being more agile with our development of our applications, but we don't know where to start. And so that's been a big, big focus for us is really helping these organizations to leverage DevOps principles and start to implement that within their organizations, which really then kickstarts them pretty quickly on that journey. And certainly the line of business owner is taking more responsibility for those technology purchases. But I'll tell you one thing that hasn't changed is when there's a security gap or a cost overrun, it's not the line of business owner who's getting the phone call. It's the CIO and the head of IT. And so one of the things that we've worked on with our customers is certainly helping those line of business owners get the most get the right purchase and get the right solution for their business needs. And and again, we take a cross-functional workshop approach to making sure that we've properly laid out those user needs and, and design the right solution for them. But what we try to do right from day one is help that IT leader understand what's happening and make sure that they're controlling that environment because They certainly can't risk the company's security just because the line of business owner wanted an application or wanted to do something that moved their business faster. It's about doing both, right? I think in the past, there was the reputation of the IT team could be that they're trying to hold control over this and they weren't allowing the IT, or sorry, the line of business owner to do the things they needed to do. That was the, the stereotype that we saw as lines of business were taking control of these decisions. But the reality is the IT team was really just trying to make sure that they maintain that secure environment for that company. And they're doing the right thing. But the challenge was that it resulted in moving too slow. And so you saw a line of business start to do the shadow IT and do things off to the side. Well, we're at a point where you shouldn't be allowed to break the security protocols, but you also can't move too slowly in this environment. Companies need to evolve quickly. And so trying to bridge that gap between the line of business and the IT team so that they can let the line of business do what they need to do to run the business, but do it in a way that's secure enough for the rest of the enterprise is a big focus for us as well.
0: Well, if SoftChoice is able to nail that magic formula, I know you recently had an IPO. I think your stock price is going to go off the charts because I think even daily VMware struggles with that internally. How do we go fast? How do you do it securely? As we're hearing more every day about security and challenges, it's just growing as the pace of digital transformation is growing. And that's, that's really the, the trade-off in the essence every day. So if soft is figure that out, you guys have a, a very, very bright future ahead of you. You had talked about how the events over the last year have been some of those accelerators that you're seeing among customers. That both accelerated their quick, let's pivot, let's change, and, and now maybe going back into to some cleanup. How did it impact SoftChoice? choice? How you managed your business, how you adapted? Because I'm sure as you were working with customers, you were navigating some of the same challenges yourself. How did it change soft choice as a company?
1: Yeah, it's funny sometimes we like to joke that we were in many ways like two weeks ahead of our customers on most things because we were all figuring this out for the first time we launched our business continuity plan it worked and there we went but uh, i think the first thing that we did with our business was really just focus on helping customers didn't need to be sold anything at that point it was really about helping and one of our core values as a company is we take care of each other and each other is not just each other within the walls of soft choice, but it's our customers, our partners. And so really the focus in the early days was just on calling and figuring out what was going on and where you needed help, even if it didn't result in anyone buying anything. We just needed to be there for each other and, and help these organizations continue to, to operate and, and to survive those early days when there was so much uncertainty. And then we shifted our business, obviously, as we were remote We started to think about what are those things that the customers are really going to need from us over the next few years. And what we landed on is what we call our soft choice ROI, an ROI not as in return on investment, but the ROI in our go-to-market approach stands for reduce, optimize, and innovate. And ultimately, that's what our customers needed from us and still need from us. They need us to go in and look for ways to proactively reduce unnecessary spend. Almost every customer environment, when we really start to analyze it and dig under the covers, has probably some bloat and some ability to cut costs and to use that money for some of these other projects. Then we get to that optimize phase, and that's when you start to look at, well, have you implemented these things properly? And that's when we bring our teams of amazing technical resources into our customer environments to help them properly implement and modernize some of these solutions that their people are using. And then finally, you get to innovate. Right, and you've got that optimized foundation, now you can really start to think about innovation and doing things that are gonna move the business forward. I think sometimes companies too often move to the innovate phase, but they don't have that optimal foundation underneath themselves to really do that innovation properly. So we try to help our customers step through that ROI process and really add that value across our cloud and workplace solution areas to make sure that we're helping those companies be successful in this new environment.
0: I love that. I think you should, I don't know whether it's copyright or trademark, but I've written it down. I think that's a great way to think about the three steps. And as I think back to it, gosh, you know, tomorrow is my 12 year anniversary with VMware. I've been through many different iterations, but that was the promise in the early days of for us virtualization. It was how can you look at, in that case, reducing, you know, a hardware load? How can you optimize, but all with the intent of how do you free up resources to innovate and use technology to fuel business transformation and deliver more back to the business. So our companies are really similar in type of approach and I love that, that ROI. So I'm going to take that and use that, but I'm going to give SoftChoice full credit, Andrew. I want to pivot and talk about SoftChoice culture. You talk about, we have a focus on helping each other, which is both people within SoftChoice and your customers. The last 18 months has been challenging for all of us. As leaders within Softchoice, how did you work to maintain a positive and connected culture that kept your talent engaged to support your customers and support your business?
1: It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, Kathleen, and I, I'd simplify it down to one thing. and it's It's really caring for the person and not the employee. And it's really important, especially in a time like this, that we think about how do we help our people through so much of their lives, not just their career or their professional lives. But we were in a place where we got to a a much more vulnerable and much more human experience with each other. I think about it now and how crazy is it that we used to stress if our kids ran into the room while we were on a meeting. It was unprofessional and unheard of. And now it's normal for kids and pets and whatever else to be running through the back of a video call, even a board meeting. And I think that that's been a great transition. And I think that's forced us to start thinking about that person. And so we've done some things like uh, we created personal hours, for example. So Early on in the pandemic, it became really clear that parents with young kids at home were really struggling to get them started with remote schooling because they're on their calls already and they're trying to do their jobs and their kids are not connecting to the internet or not connecting to their classroom and and disrupting it. And so we created three different hour blocks during the day where we outlawed internal meetings so that people could really focus on themselves and spending that time getting their kids started on school or making their kids lunch, or for some people who didn't have kids, just spending an hour catching up on work or getting a workout in. But making sure that we carved out that time for those people was a key part of what we did early on here. And then ultimately continuing to look for ways where we could help those people really care for all facets of the individual. In the middle of the pandemic, I think one of the things that we learned was that over communication for us is really just communication for everybody else, where you feel like you're talking about these things so often and repeating yourself over and over. But it provided that certainty that people needed so that they felt secure and confident in what was going on and in their jobs, in their roles in the company. And so it really taught me personally a lot about the need for that extra communication or what I think is probably extra communication that really isn't extra. That's just kind of what's needed to make people feel comfortable and confident in what's going on. So I think all of that was a a great learning process for our company and and how we evolved our culture. But personally, for me, I learned a lot as a leader over the last 18 months as well.
0: That's great. I love your description of it as caring for the person, not the employee and, you know, from the person to the, the personal hours I'm always taking notes of best practices of how people manage that because the challenges are certainly continuing. I know there still continue to be pandemic challenges in Canada. We're starting to reopen here in California. But the big news here was that the VMware campus opened and 99 people showed up because most of us are still, uh, and I live eight miles from campus, I'm not leaving my lovely home office anytime soon. So we're now in this phase where we're working to navigate reentry and figure out all of how that works, how it's fair and equitable for people in this hybrid workload. And at the same time, we're facing a really hot job market. And I know one of the new terms of 2021, it's been in a number of Forbes articles recently, is, is calling this year the year of the Great Resignation. Lots of turnover, and I'm curious. You had mentioned one of the the keys to I think soft choice being able to work with your customers is your amazing technical talent. And in a business that's made so much on having a service orientation, helping your customers, the talent and the bench at SoftChoice has got to be critical. How is SoftChoice managing, you know, approaching this hot talent market, particularly in tech? This new phase of the times with people reconsidering life choice as a leader who's looking, I'm sure, to retain the soft choice best and brightest. How are you approaching this part of this new phase we're all in?
1: I personally believe that this is going to be a shift in the workforce and in what people desire in their workforce and some of the perks of yesterday that attracted people to these amazing offices with you never need to leave and everything you've got and everything you could ever want and every service is right at your fingertips. And now we're in a place where people are like, well, you know, I don't know if I really want to go into the office, so I'm not sure I care about all of those things. But we're in a place now where I personally believe that it's about two things. It's about a, a culture and an environment where people can learn, grow and develop. And I think we've got to be cognizant of the fact that we shouldn't be designing for a hybrid workforce. We should be designing for a virtual workforce because I think one of the things that we saw in the past was, yeah, you could work remotely, but the experience was actually not very good. You were one of the only people not in the room. You'd have a little camera in the corner with a fisheye lens, and you couldn't really see what anybody was doing, and inevitably somebody would get up on a whiteboard that you couldn't see, and so you couldn't really engage in the conversation. And those things just aren't going to be good enough anymore. So we can't just open the offices and say, hey, we've got great collaboration technology and we're going to go now and allow you to work from home. And I think too many organizations are talking right now about how many days a a week people are going to be in the office. And they're not talking enough about how that experience is going to look for that person on the other end. And so for me, what I talk about with our team and what we're working towards at Softchoice is designing that virtual environment. And what that means is we're not designing for hybrid, we're designing for the person who's not there first. And we think if we can create an environment where that person feels included and feels like their experience is really great, then that's going to differentiate us and differentiate the experience that people have working at Softchoice. And so... Thinking about how we leverage our technology and our norms and our meeting processes to create that virtual first environment is a key part for retaining talent for us. And then the other one is the culture that I talked about. Part of what we've seen over the last 18 months is not only with the pandemic, but with many of the social issues that we were faced with in North America, was that creating that environment where everybody feels welcome and that they feel confident and they can participate and that they really belong, is going to be such a critical part of creating a great workplace and, and a place where people want to stay and grow. And so, really focusing on how we make that culture more inclusive and how we make sure that we're creating an environment for everybody is a key focus for us here at Softchoice. And we're pretty proud of some of the recognition we've received: it's a great place to work for youth, great place to work for women, best workplace for diversity, best workplace in technology. So there's a lot of these things that we're doing well but we still feel like there's another level that we can take this to, to really create that culture and that environment that people want to be part of. And Kathleen and I actually had an email two months ago from an engineer who joined us in the middle of the pandemic, who said, I've never seen a culture like this in my 20 year career in the technology industry. It's a place where people were so welcoming, so helpful, and you've got a lot of ability to make a huge impact right away. And so, It's that kind of culture that we're trying to bottle up, but also to advance and get even better every day. And it's a constant journey for every organization as the world around us changes to continue to build that kind of workplace. So culture and the virtual workplace are are the two areas of employee retention that we're really focused on.
0: I really appreciate hearing that. I love you sharing the story about the uh, individual who sent the note to you. That just must be so satisfying as a leader of soft choice and someone who's a steward of your culture and your company. On the culture, I know that soft choice, like VMware, is one who has a very strong commitment to communities. It's part of our upfront stated values and yours as well. And I think one of the programs or initiatives that you have to support communities is something called Soft Choice Cares. Would love to know a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, and Softchoice Cares is a great employee-started, employee-led charitable group within our organization that really drives volunteerism throughout the organization. And they connect us with some great charities to help our organization, obviously donate, but also to get involved and help many of these organizations. Because what we're seeing right now is that obviously technology is driving change in the social sector as well. But many of these not-for-profits are really not equipped to be able to leverage this technology. And we know that all of these social issues that are facing our communities today, these charities are playing such a critical role in helping people. But many of the smaller ones are falling off the radar a little bit here because they can't keep up. And so for us, it's not just about building programs around it or donating some money to these organizations, but... It's how can we leverage the fact that we've got 1,850 people who know a lot about technology and have a lot of passion to help these organizations. And so for us, we've actually created something we call the social impact accelerator. And so we've always given people two volunteer days at Softchoice, but it's been kind of up to them to figure out what they wanted to do with those days. But now we've launched this pro bono technology mentorship program that focuses on bringing our people together in a coordinated way to help these charities and help these not-for-profits. I'll give you a couple of quick examples. One is a program called Connected North. And so we actually helped this organization called Taking IT Global that provides opportunities and experiences for indigenous remote communities in northern Canada to have access to many of the great teachers in southern Ontario and southern Canada that they would not normally have access to. But the problem was this organization was spending so much of their time actually managing the technology and they weren't able to do what they do best. And so we actually leveraged our managed services and now we're managing the program's network of 100 schools and 12,000 students and taking that off their plate so that they don't have to worry about the technology anymore. And so bringing those kinds of things to our social impact partners is a key part of what we're doing. And we're going to expand that now, actually just starting in the next two weeks, we're launching a pro bono volunteer program. we're going to line up a series of charitable organizations and we're going to create pods of our people from across the business to help them using our volunteer days to help these organizations with some of their technology challenges. And so for us, it's not just about spending the day cleaning up an office or painting a wall, but actually using the skills we have as technologists to advance these organizations and really help them where we can help them best. So I appreciate you asking about it, Kathleen. All of this is really important to us here at SoftChoice and really excited about some of the things that we're we're doing.
0: Well, the whole initiative sounds like a true way that SoftChoice can walk the talk and put its culture in action, but also have a truly tremendous impact on the communities in your broader community and where SoftChoice lives. And I'm sure it also speaks to the culture and also why people want to be members of SoftChoice where they get the chance to have that impact with their capabilities and their expertise in a way that has real positive good for the world it just sounds like a win 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 all around I wanted to go back for a second to your comments also on the virtual workforce because you had a perspective which is really unique and I haven't heard anyone talking about that first what I actually want to ask you is whether, are you two weeks ahead of your customers, and is this going to be the next new offering that you offer, which is go in and help set up the virtual first workforce?
1: <laughs> that is the plan, Kathleen. We're, we're finalizing our plans. We are working through that. So we are starting our return to office protocols at this point and starting to open up some of our offices over the next, I think, around six weeks from now. So. We're very actively building out what does that look like and what is that virtual first experience. And I'm sure we're going to get it wrong to start with. We're all going to get it wrong, I think, in the beginning. But, you know, we are definitely committed to building that out, building that virtual first experience, and then taking that to our customers. Absolutely. Because I think one of the things that we learned through this was that we had some people remote before and they said, hey, I don't want to go back to what we used to have. This is so much better for me. I feel like I'm part of the action now, and I don't feel like I'm disadvantaged from being remote. So that really got us thinking about how do we build that virtual first experience. So stay with us, Kathleen. There's definitely more to come on that one, but we'll be out ahead of our customers trying that one ourselves.
0: Well, I'm going to be watching as we start to go back and are already dealing with that clumsy experience of how the couple people in the office you're designing for the person who's not in the room really resonated with me. And I think we could learn from it too. So I'm, I'm going to be watching and seeing how we might bring in soft choice and help VMware there as you navigate that. Uh, just I think, really insightful to think about designing for the person who's not in the room. And that's that's really unique. I would love to, as we're getting close to the end of our time together, I would like to wrap up with a couple lightning round questions. First of all, Andrew, what are you reading right now?
1: what am I reading right now? I am reading, actually just finished a book called Be Where Your Feet Are, which was just the perfect book to read (laughs) right now. And the whole concept of of the book was that you need to be focused on what's in front of you and not constantly trying to do 15 things at once. And so it was a really great reminder that when I'm home with my family, I'm home with my family. And we all are working in the same place as we're living right now. And so it's, it's easy to blur those lines. And so I'm trying to keep that mantra in my head as be where my feet are.
0: Love that. And it is challenging as all of our boundaries have blurred and we are here, but everything else, everything is here at the same time. So being able to make those mental boundaries and being present I'll have to check that out. It's how I get all of my best book recommendations for my conversations. Next, what is a new application or maybe a refound app on your phone that's particularly interesting, piqued your interest, productivity, something fun?
1: I've been meaning to do more mindfulness and meditation, but I've never really gotten into it. And then I found a new app called Balance, and they're offering the first year free. So it removed any barrier I had for signing up for one of these things if I, if I wasn't going to use it. So I signed up for that about a week and a half ago, and so far, so good. I'm, I'm enjoying it, and it's definitely needed.
0: That's great. I'll have to check that one out. I'm a big, calm subscriber myself. That was my pandemic app, so Balance. I'll have to check that one out. Last question, and especially since you're on the forefront of talking to customers all the time, talking with all of the IT vendors, what technology do you foresee being the most disruptive for your customers, for Softchoice, for our industry over the next three to five years?
1: I'm going to cheat because I don't know that this is a technology, Kathleen, but I think one of the really interesting things that's coming out lately is the analytics around the workplace and the users and understanding how people work, understanding the networks within an organization. These things were really opaque before. Uh, And now we're entering a new world where we've got so much data and so much information. And I'd say we're not using it well right now. How many articles have you read about how productivity is up during the pandemic because people are working more hours? If we're equating productivity to how many hours people are logged in, we are totally missing the boat. It's about how do we get more out of the hours that people are working, not how do we get more hours out of people. And so I think we're going to learn a lot more about how our teams operate over the next couple of years. That's going to really start to change how we think about designing roles, how we think about meetings, how we think about working cross-functionally. I just think there's just an amazing amount of information that's going to create some real insight that's going to change how we all work together over the next few years if we leverage it properly.
0: I love that. Not an expected answer. Mostly I get AI, machine learning. So I love that insight, but I love how it's connected to the time that we're in. And as we're thinking about work and virtual work and hybrid work, spot on insights. And I think it's a really receptive time to be able to think about this and use it in ways we've never thought before. So love, love that. Well, Andrew, Thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been a delight to speak with you and have you share your insights, learn a little bit more about SoftChoice. It's fantastic culture, how you work with your customers and your insights on work and leadership and building great teams. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Kathleen.
0: And we're back. What a fantastic conversation with Andrew. In particular, it was really great learning more about the approach that SoftChoice is taking to build its lifecycle services business and how the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated customer needs for managed services. To learn more about SoftChoice, please visit softchoice.com. And to connect with Andrew, you can find him on LinkedIn or on Twitter at, at Andrew Caprera. Please subscribe, follow, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit Partner Executive Edge at VMware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy, and thanks for listening.